Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, I want to talk to you today about letting go of the hold of depression. You know, all of us face some sort of depression, discouragement, a defeatist attitude, especially in these seasons. And last week, we talked about boycotting, complaining, and whining, and moaning, and allowing the joy of the Lord to be our strength. We started last week by looking at John chapter 15, verse 5 and verse 11, where Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And here's a line that could be easily missed. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, we can't have joy to the full or completed joy without Jesus. We were created with a vacuum in our souls, a God-shaped vacuum, if you would, and only God can fill it. And His Son, Jesus, comes to live inside of us and bring His joy. Now, why did I start that way? Because I wanted to start with a joyous statement. But I also want you to know this, that mental health does not have to have a stigma attached with it, especially when you look at the body of Christ. That we're to love each other and care for each other and carry each other's burdens. So when I talk about depression today, please know I'm not a therapist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a counselor. And there will be times where, well, because of depression or discouragement or darkness in your soul, you'll need to seek out professional help. And don't ever feel like, because you're a Christian, you can't do that. On the contrary, God uses all kinds of ways and methods for us to be healed. Sometimes He heals us miraculously. Other times, well, we've got to go under the knife and have surgery. And that's where we pray, oh God, give that doctor and those nurses and anesthesiologists extra wisdom and grace today. (laughs) Help them to have a good night's sleep before we go under the knife. And God uses that, or medication, or counseling. And whatever it is that you need, never feel like you can't seek out help from someone because it is available to you. But I want to talk about a gentleman who dealt with deep, dark, defeatist depression. He, of course, uh, was called upon by God to go toe-to-toe with 450 prophets of Baal, and he didn't back down. Of course, we're talking about Elijah. And what a victory for his uh, life and for the followers of God who come against the prophets of Baal. And this man, Elijah, calls down fire from on high, and the fire of God falls upon this altar that had water poured upon it, and it consumes everything. And we meet Elijah today at the low point in his life. You know, you think of all the encounters that Jesus had with people. We've been studying them in this series. How Jesus comes to the blind man and heals him, or the lame man who says, hey, do you want to get well? And the lame man makes excuses, and Jesus just says, get up and walk, and the man is healed instantaneously. We think about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. We think about Jesus taking that woman who was down on the ground, 
caught in adultery, about to be stoned to death. And Jesus came and lifted her up with his grace and with his mercy. And we think of all the stories in the Bible. I mean, you know, Joseph, who was willing to forgive his brothers who sold him into slavery, or an obscure little teenage boy who's out taking care of the sheep. And he becomes one who would stand in the valley against Goliath, the giant. And with five smooth stones and a slingshot, he would have victory. I mean, these are great stories. But today, we look at the bottom kind of story, at the bottom of life. It's Elijah. Now, you need to understand that in Israel, Elijah is revered today. There are statues of Elijah where he stands strong and tall, Elijah, the prophet of God. There's statues all over Israel, plaques all over Israel, commemorating what he was able to do for God. But this story about Elijah today is a story where he's a broken man. He's living in depression. He's living in defeat. I love the words of Corey Tin Boom. She said that there's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Well, what does that mean to us? That God will not write us off. That there's no depression so dark that God will not be there for you to get through it. So this story has, well, four main players. The weak-willed king named King Ahab and his wife, Jezebel, who's strong-willed and very controlling. And of course, Elijah, the prophet. And the fourth main character, which is really the first main character, God himself. Now, Ahab and Jezebel, if you study them, have a dysfunctional relationship. Ahab is like a little boy. And he comes into the palace to tell Jezebel what happened after the prophets of Baal were desecrated by God's power and God's grace. And he comes in sniveling to his wife. What am I going to do? I'm paraphrasing. What am I going to do? And in 1 Kings 19, we see the story. And if you have a Bible, you'll want to open to 1 Kings 19. I mean, it's a power-packed story that would make a great movie for sure. In 1 Kings 19, verse 2, Jezebel rises up and says, don't you worry, Ahab, I've got this. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them, one of the prophets of Baal. So before we get too down on Elijah, I mean, let, let's see this for a moment. His life is being threatened. The messengers come, and no doubt these messengers came not just with a message, but they added their own sauce and spice to it because they're connected, obviously, to Ahab, and they're also connected to the prophets of Baal who died as a result of Elijah's calling down that fire from God. So they come with this vengeance. I, I can kind of hear them like, you know, just some sinister guys coming in. You're going to die. You're going to die. Jezebel's going to have your head tomorrow. And what happens to Elijah is he forgets about the faithfulness and the power of God and the recent victory, this overwhelming victory that God gave him. And what he does in verse 3, 1 Kings 19, 3, is he ran for 
his life. See that. He ran away from the power of God and the purpose of God, and he runs a day's journey away into the wilderness after he runs 130 miles on foot to Beersheba. And sometimes you read that story and you don't really recognize it. It's 130 miles. He's, he's, he's running. Now, what needs to happen to us when something like this, I mean, this is catastrophic, and I doubt your life's ever going to be threatened like this. But somebody told me 2019 was a horrible year, and then came 2020. And it's just compounded. It's getting worse and worse day by day, month by month for them. Well, here's what we need to do. Number one, we need to consider the source. Uh, When words come against us, when threats come against us, when uh, seasons are really bad, I mean, consider the source and take a realistic look at what's being said. This is the statement of Jezebel. And everything out of her heart was corrupt. Everything out of her heart was wicked. But Elijah doesn't consider that. He doesn't consider that God is a greater source. He just takes this message and runs for his life. 130 miles. And then out into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is not like uh, Yosemite or Sequoia or even Los Padres National Forest. I mean, this wilderness is barren. It's shrub brush. And we're going to see in just a moment that he's actually going to come and find a little shrub tree and get down beneath it. Something else to consider is this. Number two, don't separate yourself from strengthening and healthy relationships. Now, not all the people in your circle are in your corner, and not all the people in your corner today will be in your corner tomorrow. I know I've recently shared that with you, but it's a powerful truth. And sometimes when stuff happens, especially bad stuff, people will come around to get information and then they'll leave you. (laughs) They might post it somewhere, but then they'll leave you. That's not the kind of people I'm talking about. I'm talking about connecting with people that have a strengthening ability in your life and that have healthy relationship with you. See, if you're feeling sorry for yourself, by yourself, and your discussion is with yourself, that discussion will kill you. Stop talking to yourself about yourself when you are down. And you are depressed. Last week, I shared with you that we should be speaking in the direction that we want our lives to go, that God is with us, that God is for us, that he can do great things in the midst of even pandemic. God is an amazing God. Rather than, woe is me, we start saying, great is he. See, we're not called to run our race alone. But what often happens when darkness comes is we retreat, draw in the blinds or the shades, and we don't want anyone to be around us. Let me take you quickly away from the story of Elijah and go over to the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 11 and 12. Boy, catch this truth. This is a sermon unto itself right here. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children, encouraging, comforting, and urging. See those three words, encouraging, comforting, and urging. Doing what? 
urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So we need people in our lives who will encourage us, who will comfort us, and who will urge us. The first thing that we see is this. We need somebody who will encourage us, and they will say this, yes, you can. When it feels like you can't, they will say, yes, you can. And this person provides the encouragement needed in times of darkness, and their resounding word to us is, don't give up. The second person we need in our life is someone who will say, yes, you will. Now, this may be the same person. They'll say, yes, you can. They'll also say, yes, you will. This provides the comfort of perspective. See, God is faithful to his promises, and you will find the way forward as God has done in the past. They will remind you of the faithfulness of God. Yes, you will. Not only can you, but you will. And the last one is, yes, you must. That's the urging, the urging power of someone's life in our life. And they're urging us towards doing the right thing, even in the face of difficulties. And as we study the story of Elijah, he didn't have anyone in his corner. He didn't have anyone saying, let's go for it. Isolation is a poor strategy when you are depressed and discouraged. Isolation is a poor strategy compared to all the admonitions in the Bible. All the one another's, pray for one another, encourage one another, spur each other on to good works, pray for one. I mean, the Bible is filled with tons of one another's. They can't be done in isolation. Catherine Green McCrete, in her book, Darkness is My Only Companion, describes her tortured journey through 10 years of extreme depression and bipolar disorder and how gathering with God's church helped her. It's so important to worship in community, she said, and to ask brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you. Sometimes you literally cannot make it on your own, and you need to borrow from the faith of those around you. Companionship in the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful, she says, and I would agree. The third thing is be cautious concerning your feelings following victory and success. I mean, Elijah had just had this amazing success, and he has no defense in his life. He's alone. Hey, can I let you in on a little secret? In my 42 years of ministry, my hardest day is always Monday. (laughs) After the Sunday, I mean, pre-COVID, we had three services here, and uh, we, we would get warmed up around 7 o'clock, do the 8 o'clock service, 9.15, 10.45. Uh, we'd see people, and then sometimes in the afternoon I'd have appointments, and then at night, quite often on Sunday nights, I would ride along with our incredible Lompoc Police Department, or sometimes the incredible Sheriff's Department. And then Monday morning I'd wake up, and, and pastors get this. It's, it's called the blahs, man. It's called the blues. All the adrenaline is, is gone out. And you start dissecting yesterday. What if we did this differently? Or what if I would have spoken better? It's like one lady told me, you know, you're only as good as your last sermon. And I thought, man, I preach hundreds of sermons. You're only as good as your last one. It's like the chef who always does a great job cooking meals, but you always remember what? The last meal you had. And sometimes we vote with our feet. 
<laughs> we don't go back to the restaurant or we don't go back to the church because bad sermon, bad meal. We get it. We get it. But it's a slump, we call it. I mean, ask a great athlete who had a really great game, and the next day they're off. They're doing some light weights or stretching or whatever. But man, it's just a, you're kind of down. Or a great actor who just finished a movie. Or somebody who does live plays, and the next day they've got the day off. You just, you feel it. You feel down a little bit. Well, Elijah's had this incredibly high point in his life, this radical move of God, and the prophets of Baal are wiped out, and now he's down in the dumps, he's down in the slumps. The fourth thing I want you to see is this, and it's, it's, it's very important as well, that not only do we be careful and cautious after success, but be especially careful when you are exhausted and weary. Never make a major decision when you are tired. Never make a life-changing decision when you are tired. And, and, and he was, was just this amazing rush of all that had happened and all that God had done. And now he's run this 130 miles and then a day journey into the wilderness. And the enemy has his way with all of us in those moments of exhaustion. And this is that point where he comes to the broom bush, 1 Kings 19, 4 and 5. He comes to that broom bush, he sits down under it, and he prays that he might die. That's the extent of his prayer. Lord, take my life. I've had enough. Ever said that? Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. Can I tell you what this is called? Self-pity. Take my life. I'm not better than my ancestors. By the way, who said he had to be better than his ancestors? Who told him to make comparisons with others? No one. You see, when you start going into self-pity mode, you'll compare yourself to others. You'll compare yourself to to people that you don't even know but are, are having success. It makes you focus on yourself and your pain like you are the only one. No one else knows what it's like to be me. And pretty soon you sink lower and lower and lower and lower. But good news, the main character steps in, God himself. 1 Kings 19, 5 and 6 says, All at once an angel touched him. Notice that phrase, touched him. And said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some Bread that was baked hot over the coals, probably sour dough with a little rosemary. I don't know. But man, whatever it was, it was good. And he didn't even have to make it. And then there's a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. The angel touches him. Can I remind you how practical God is here and how grace-filled? See, God doesn't come to him and say, how dare you pray that you'll die? I rebuke you. You've lost your faith. He doesn't come with a judgmental attitude. That's why this is so good. He comes with a practical touch. That's what Elijah needed. And he comes with a meal, a miracle meal. And then the angel of the Lord, 1 Kings 19, 7 to 9, came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. 
for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank and strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb. Now what is Horeb? The mountain of God. And there he went into the cave and spent the night. The mountain of God. The place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It was a holy place. And that's where he calls him. So how does God handle this broken prophet? Well, the first thing is that he brings him rest and he tells him to be refreshed. Rest and be refreshed. The word of the Lord came to him, 1 Kings 19.9. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God knew what Elijah was doing there. God didn't need Elijah to tell him anything or to counsel him. But it's for him to start looking at himself. Why are you here, Elijah? Elijah did not hear last week's sermon. (laughs) Boycott, complaining, and whining. He does into this most amazing, uh, excuse me, he goes into this most amazing wine, and here it is, 1 Kings 19.10. He replied, I've been very, let me say it the way he said it, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars. I put your prophets to death with the sword, and now watch this, sniffle, sniffle, I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one left. God, no correction, no rebuke. You see, when people are in darkness, here's what we need to do. Be like God. Say less, listen more, and care much. Let me say it again. Say less, listen more, and care much. Just be there for people. We call it the ministry of presence. Just be present. Say less, listen more, and care much. 1 Kings 19, verse 11 to 13, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then we know what happened. God uses nature itself to make a statement that will shake the heart, literally, of Elijah. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart. Man, that's a big wind that tears mountains apart. And shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. If you've ever been in an earthquake, you understand. It's a very uh, unsettling, nervous feeling. I've been in a few of them. But the Lord was not in that earthquake. And after the earthquake came the fire. Earth, wind, and and fire. This is where they got their name, that old rock band. But he was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now, the way the Hebrew text reads, it was the whisper that he heard. The silence. The sound of silence. Sometimes they'll tell us that uh, we don't like silence. That's why you get on an elevator, and what do they have? Elevator music. You get on an airplane, and what do you start hearing? You start hearing music. 
When you depart the airport, you hear music. You go in a store, you hear music. Restaurants, they play music. Why? Even at church, before, you, <laughs> before the worship team starts, we have music. Because we don't like silence. There's something bizarre about that. And yet God reminds us to be still and know that he's God. I love what the Hebrew text reads here, that this was a gentle stillness and a quiet, catch this, that could be felt in his soul. A gentle stillness and a quiet that could be felt in his soul. The wind, the whirlwind, the rocks, the earth shaking, the fire all huge and loud and hot. And God says nothing until the quiet comes. Now we have so much noise. It's like a cacophony of sound everywhere we go. Our phones vibrate, and even when we don't hear them ring, we feel them. And sometimes, probably like me, uh, when the phone's not in your pocket or in your purse, you can still feel like it's vibrating. It's just we're conditioned that way. But God uses the silence. First Kings nineteen thirteen. Then a voice said to him, "What are you doing here?" Elijah, and he still doesn't get it. This is God um, round two, right? Asking him again, why are you here? Where are you, Elijah? And guess what? Elijah goes for round two. <laughs> Deja vu. 1 Kings 19, 14. He replied, I've been very, oh, <clears throat> I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down their altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. They? They are trying to kill you? He took the words that Jezebel said to the messenger, and he took them to heart, and watch what he did. He magnified them far beyond what they were. And Elijah said to them, 1 Kings 18.22, he did this before. Before all of this depression and discouragement, he says back in 1 Kings 18.22, I'm the only one for the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Hold on to that thought. He thinks he's the only one standing for truth. We can think we're the only person going through what we're going through. The only parent dealing with what we're dealing with. Am I the only one? Am I the only pastor? Are we the only church? And pretty soon you start looking darker and darker within. And what you see is you rather than seeing God. See, God moves Elijah, number two, back to purpose. 1 Kings 19, 15. Then the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. See, there's anointing there that I want you to do. You're going to anoint the next prophet in line. I'm raising you up for a purpose. I'm raising you up so you can continue your ministry and you can raise up the next guy I have worked for you to do. And now catch verse 17. You really got to see it. 1 Kings 19, 17. Yet I reserve how many? 7,000 in Israel. 
all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. I have 7,000. You keep saying you're the only one. I have 7,000. You keep saying there was 450 prophets of Baal. I have 7,000 in reserve. They're my reserve team. They're ready to come off the bench and represent me. Elijah, stop saying you're the only one. I have 7,000, so let it go, buddy. You're not the only one. And God shows Elijah the plan, and it's not going back to normal. It's something more. It's starting over for Elijah with a deep connection to God and the setting up of the next generation. 1 Kings 19, verse 19 to 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Snapchat. I mean the son of Snaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. And he took his yoke and oxen and slaughtered them, and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then, and then, with a proper goodbye and a proper barbecue, he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. He now has someone to go with him. Elijah is going to have a traveling buddy, someone who will say, yes, you can, yes, you will, yes, you must. And when he looked down, he was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed by Jezebel and exaggerated what was in his heart. When he looked down in discouragement, what he needed to do was look up. Because after he looks down in discouragement, he looks around and he felt like he was the only one. And then when he looked within himself, he wanted to die. But when he looked up, he saw the Lord and his purpose and his future. We need to be people that look up to our faithful heavenly Father. This God who gives us great gifts and has a great plan for our lives. I know we hear that a lot. God has a great plan for your life, but it's true. He does. We can look down. We can look around. We can look inside and forget to look up. Have a proper perspective. Hear me, as your pastor and as your friend, I encourage you to look up to God in this season, to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Where are you? What's going on in your life right now? Elijah, well, Jezebel, she's going to kill me by this time tomorrow. Can I tell you, we have no record of Elijah's death. What we do have is a record of his ascension into heaven in the whirlwind. Remember that whirlwind that God provided for him? It was a prophetic precursor of the day that, well, Elijah never died. I almost said he took his last breath, but he didn't. He went up into the heavenlies. The very thing that he thought would happen, Jezebel's going to kill me. 
by this time tomorrow. And so he runs away 130 miles, then a day's journey into the wilderness, all because of the fear, this perspective that he had while he looked down. But there was a day he looked up, and God took him from this planet into heaven. He never even died. How amazing. See, this season cannot stop the plan of God in your life. You can complain. You can whine. You can look down. You can look around. You can look within yourself. But don't forget to look up. I think about this amazing church and its history since 1940. I think about our season. Sure, we're, we're online and we're still outdoors. But God's not done with LFC, and He's certainly not done with you. We're not going to start again. We're going to start over. We're going to look up to God and to see His plan and purposes for our life. Where are you looking today? What do you constantly repeat over and over? If your self-talk is dark talk and depressive talk about yourself, pretty soon, well, it'll pull you down even farther. But if you listen to God, you'll hear He has no rebuke. He has no judgment. He's just there with you right now, and He cares for you deeply. And when this message is over and this service is done, He goes with you. He's with you. He is for you. There is a plan, and He's working His way into your life at a deeper dimension And he's working out his plan for you. If you've never met the Lord Jesus Christ, I can tell you, darkness is darker. Hope, well, it's not alive. Peace, it's not fully available. And as we started this message, the joy of Jesus can't be complete in you if Jesus isn't in you. So I want to encourage you. I think you have to promise to clean up your act for the next 40 days and 40 nights. But just come to Jesus today. Just come to Him. Decide that you're going to follow after Jesus. Not just exist in life, but have life more abundant as you come to Jesus and you live. And if you're discouraged today, if you're depressed today, take it from someone who's walking the journey with you. Press into God's presence. Be careful what you say to yourself. Be careful who you listen to. Find some running partners who will come alongside and encourage you and urge you and comfort you. And make sure you know that, well, you're not alone. God is with you. And if there's any way we can help you, please reach out to us. We have a prayer team. We have myself and our staff. We would love to help you as you go ahead with your journey And you don't have to journey alone. Now, last but not least, if this is your day to give your life to Christ, I encourage you to text to Decide Jesus, that word, Decide Jesus, to 94090. It may seem a little odd, but I encourage you to do it. Just text Decide Jesus to 94090. Zero, and we'll respond to you and let us know how we can help you. You can leave a prayer request on our website, mylfc.com. There's a place for your prayer request. You can call our office. But I want you to know that Jesus wants you to know this, that he's with you 
that he's for you. And then maybe you find yourself by the shrub tree saying, hey, Lord, I'm done. God's not done with you. He's not, I promise you. And tomorrow will be a greater day because the Lord goes with you. Well, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, this Tuesday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we'll be back in our next installment in the book of Psalms. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. And may you rise up in faith because God's on your side. We'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.